there are people throughout the world that have interesting stories to tell. Stories of heroism, acts of kindness, near-death experiences, successes, and failures. You usually hear of these stories from people that live in another state or country. But what about the stories from within your own community? Everyone has a story to tell. And by everyone, we mean your neighbor, your coworker, the person behind you at church, people you interact with on a daily basis, or maybe even you. Welcome to the DTV Podcast, presented by the Bless Your Heart Nonprofit Corporation. I'm Brennan Mathern, and I'll be your host as we speak to some of the most interesting people in Bayou Lafourche. At the start of this season, we spoke to administrators of Lady of the Sea General Hospital, a little about their history, but mostly about Hurricane Ida and the future of the hospital. So in that vein, for this show, we head up the bayou to highlight a local doctor who's also from our area. Dr. Lindsay Lasang is a neurosurgeon with the Thibodeau Regional Health System, and we're so happy she's here joining us today. Dr. Lasang, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm honored to talk with you. We're happy to have you. So uh, like we do with every guest, we want you to uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and your family. Who's your mom and dad? Where you're from? Where you went to school? All of your schools, by the way. Sure, sure. Well, my name is Lindsay. I was formerly Lindsay Maye. I grew up in Lockport, Louisiana. Um, ultimately married a Thibodeau boy from up north, so my last name now is Lasang. Uh, but yeah, I grew up in Lockport. Uh, my mother is from Lockport, so is my dad. They're both natives to Lafouche Parish. Uh, my dad is Joe Paul Maye, M-A-Y-E-T. He grew up in Lockport. His family came from cattle farming, and my mother was Stephanie Boyd Maye, and her family came from the boat business. So grew up in small old Lockport. I have one sister. Her name is Lauren. We uh, went to Central Lafouche, and I really never wanted to leave Lafouche Parish, so ended up at Nichols, where I did my undergrad which I loved. I loved my time at Nichols. I always said, you know, if I could go to med school there, I would have never left. Um, so after there, unfortunately, did have to leave to do some uh, specialty education and training. And so I, I stayed in Louisiana for most of it, though. I did LSU New Orleans for medical school. And I also was thankful enough to stay there for residency, which I did a neurosurgery residency. That's a seven-year residency. Um, but one year I did leave. I left and went to Ohio to Cleveland for fellowship, and I did that in neurocritical care up in Ohio. My husband, Jeff, and I, we've been married for, I keep forgetting, I think it's going to be 14 years this year. Yep, 14 years. We won't um, tell him you said that. Well, as long as he remembers. It's okay if I forget. <laughs> um, so, yep, this June in a couple of weeks, we're going to be celebrating our 14th wedding anniversary. Um, he's been with me through all of that training. We met when I was a second-year college student at Nichols, so he's been along for the whole ride. Um, we have two babies. We have Georgia Grace, or Gigi. She is two. Um, quite a spirited young lady, I tell you. She is funny. Um, and then our little boy, Gentry. I call him my little angel. He is uh, one years old. He just turned one. Wow, so back-to-back. Yeah. I thought the second one was a gallbladder attack, but surprise, it's a baby. <laughs> now, when you mention your family, uh, some people, we, we have to point this out, some people may know you better from Instagram, uh, Medically Blonde. It's clear 
on your Instagram uh, that you promote positivity, which I love because that's something my wife and I love doing. Uh, I have to use social media for work. I'm, I'm literally a social media administrator, so I, I know firsthand all the negativity that's on social media. And it's just awesome to see anyone local or anyone, period, using uh, you know a popularity on social media for positivity. So thank you for that. Uh, but can you talk a little bit, just mention your Instagram, uh, and, and where does the name Medically Blonde come yes. from? Yes. Oh, I'm happy to do it. So really, you know... I spend most of my time working and very scientific, but I'm also, I love being creative. I love photography. I love fashion. I love food. Um, So that really is kind of a little bit personal indulgent for me just because it allows me to be creative. Uh, But also the real reason I do it is a lot of young women over the years have reached out to me and say, oh, you know, it's good to see a woman also do a surgical career, also have children, also have a balanced life, also travel. And so because they're there's so much feedback from young women that they find it positive and they find it inspiring. I say, well, okay, I guess I'll keep doing it. And it really is my way of showing other women in particular that they can do it all and they don't have to be masculine to do something like what I do for a living. They can be themselves and they can be feminine. And uh, just to try to show some light that you can still be a woman and have all these wonderful um, career and professional goals as well. And and it seems like we're we're on the same wavelength of uh, my my social media accounts exist to highlight my gorgeous children. Like that that seems like what what yours is for too. You'll see a big difference. <laughs> Two years ago, it went from a whole lot of medical things about how to study for a test to check out my cute kids and how funny <laughs> they are. But um, you know, it's it's just what inspires me, and you know, I don't have any certain objective with the Instagram. It's just my way to be creative and sure. and also try to network with other young women in particular. But, you know, I have male followers as well. It's nothing that, you know, I don't gear towards them. But in particular, I think a lot of women seem to relate with it. It's interesting you brought up networking with social media, uh, which is what I use Twitter a lot for. And it has been invaluable. Uh, just reaching out to people, especially after hurricanes. We'll get a little bit uh, into that in a little while. But you, you mentioned previously that, uh, you know, you never wanted to leave and you're back now. But before we get into what you're doing now in Thibodeau, with, with Thibodeau Regional, a lot of high school students uh, want to become doctors or nurses and they have the idea of returning home after school, but they never get the chance or they, they find a husband or a wife and they stay away. What how did you keep that dream alive uh, to to be able to be lured back to the bayou? You know, it was truly never an option that I would practice anywhere else. You know, I truly love Bayou Lafourche. Um, the reason I have success and have achieved what I have is because of the teachers and the support system and the mentors that are here in Bayou Lafourche. And so because of that, I had success in my education and have this career that I feel so privileged that it was never an option for me to not use these tools back home to serve the population here. Um, you know, it was it was truly never something that I would have done anything differently. So it was easy. No one really had to lure me. Of course, you know, I you know, I, I tried to play a little hard to get when I was in the interview process to make sure that they knew that, you know, I had value and I knew that. Um, but at the same time, it, it was clear I wanted to come home. Uh, this is a unique population to treat from a medical perspective. Um, you know, Thibodeau in general, like we have world-class medical care that you will find in large cities, but it's right here in our tiny little home of Lafouche Parish. And so 
not only as a worker of the Thibodeau Health System, but as a consumer. You know, my parents go there for care. My children and I go there for care. I'm really impressed with the quality of care that we can give here. And it's my goal that patients suffering with neurosurgical problems don't have to travel far to get care. You know, we know that you get best care close to home. When you're sick, you want to be in your own bed. Well, it's even, you know, more magnified when you have something serious going on. So if we can give people that best quality care, but they don't have to leave for it, you know, that's the ideal. And so I guess all of that, my love of the people here, my love of, um, you know, my story of how I got here and how thankful I am, I knew I wanted to come back. Man, and and you mentioned all of the the first-class facilities there, and uh, especially with the opening of uh, of all their new sports complexes. I'm looking at our producer, Greg Stock, needs to be on our list of, of uh, future guests as well uh, to talk about Thibodeau Regional. But, uh, Lindsay, you got there in 2021. Let's talk about your position. Uh, first of all, what is a neurosurgeon? Because it sounds very important. And uh, wh- what is the difference between a neurosurgeon, per se, and a neurologist? Great question. So it is actually very different. And I get all the time people are like oh we're so proud of you you're a neurologist or oh i need to come see you about my seizures you know and it really is very different so it's a great opportunity for me to address that and i take that for granted because you know i work in healthcare, but it's so different so neurology which is not what i do i do a little bit of it i guess um is uh, disorders of the human nervous system so that's um you know brain spine neuromuscular system uh, but neurosurgery is uh, specifically surgical management okay uh, we do in neurosurgery i have a partner dr wasthi and i uh, we're the two neurosurgeons really the only ones and not just lafouche parish but the only region um excuse me throughout the region we do uh, surgical management of brain and spine conditions. So most of our practice is management of spine conditions, so specifically spine surgery. We do cervical, which is the neck, thoracic, and lumbar spine surgery, whether that's decompression, fusion, trauma, fractures, tumors. Um, Most of it is arthritic and degenerative over years. Um, That is the bulk of our practice because that's the most common pathology that affects the human nervous system from a surgeon's perspective. But for the cranial stuff, the the brain stuff, we also take care of brain tumors and head bleeds, stroke, trauma, car accidents, um, you know, pretty much any condition that you would have pressure, blood, or a tumor in the brain. So that's the bulk of our practice. We do not go through neurology to get to surgery. It's just seven years after medical school of just surgical management of brain and spine conditions. Well, early in, when we started the show, we mentioned that we uh, had on uh, at the beginning of the season people from Lady, some of the administrators from Lady of the Sea General Hospital to talk about. Mostly, they talked about their Ida experience, and we and we do want to talk about that. But we haven't had a practicing doctor in the house yet to talk about. COVID. Uh, So I would love to hear, especially in the early days uh, of COVID, like April 2020 and and in those first few months, can you talk about what life was like for you, what what work life was like, and and just any any interesting stories from that time frame? Yeah, sure. So, you know, I had my first child, Georgia Grace. My husband and I have been married 12 years, and we waited for this, quote, perfect time to have a kid towards the end <laughs> of, of residency. And we had her three weeks before the pandemic. So um, the very first few weeks of COVID, when you know medical professionals were hit with this strange thing, I was actually home with a new baby. Um, so I came back when my little girl was three weeks old into COVID, like peak COVID in April. And it was terrifying. You know, like as a young mom, you don't really know what to expect, but you have this innate 
need to take care of this child. I was like the crazy person going around Lysoling everything, not eating anything that was cooked in a public place because you just didn't know. Um, but it really was um, an experience that all of us in healthcare will certainly uh, not forget. Um, you know, in the beginning, people were not able to be with their loved ones when they were sick and dying. I think that was one of the hardest things that I recall. You know, just being with people, holding their hand, um, or even sometimes utilizing our phones to FaceTime family members on the outside um, as they were very sick and sometimes dying. That was hard. You know, what I do is... is um, you know, people that suffer brain trauma, car accidents, strokes. I mean, these are pretty significant things, and their family can't be with them in those moments. That was tough. So that was one of the hardest things. But on a positive end, one of the most amazing things was watching people really work together as a team to figure out things, um, to be supportive to another, to just, you know, be humans and show love and compassion and, and dedication for community and for people. And that was really the, the positive, you you know, but it was tough. A lot of long days, long nights. The pathology we see in medicine post-COVID is different. We see strange strokes in the young and uh, strange bleeds. And we also see a lot of inflammatory changes in people's spinal cords and things. So there were some new things that we really just weren't seeing a lot of before COVID that the COVID brought. So it was definitely challenging and still continues to be, even though it, it comes up and down and we have a lot more experience of how to handle it. It's certainly something that still poses a challenge. It seems like, uh, you know, COVID definitely had its share of uh, negatives, but it, like you said, it had its share of positives, uh, much like the hurricane. I think people came out of it uh, now that we're finally walking around without our mask on, that we, you know, we see some of the good. I mean, this organization, bless your heart, really uh, began and came to prominence uh, fr- out of COVID uh, and was sort of born out of COVID. Uh, but look, in, in what I do professionally, uh, even to this day, when, when asked about it, you know, what looking back on what we could have done differently, the one question, the one thing I always point out that I wasn't prepared for, and look, I, I've been doing my job for now, you know, 16 plus years, but... I wasn't prepared for the outright rejection of facts and information and science that I saw during COVID and still to this day. And people that I'm normally on the same side of the fence with on every other issue, uh, we didn't see eye to eye on this one. And it was everything's a conspiracy and everybody, you know, the government's out to get us. And I, I guess my question to you is, did being a, a neurosurgeon, you may not have had the same experience as maybe a family doctor, but did you have any kind of experience with that with, with oh, your patients? Yes. Uh, and it's more not for my patients. It was really more social media, like getting right. on Facebook and watching the wars go down between people and people just downright jumping on other people's posts to share their, I'm going to say opinions because it's really ultimately what most of it was, was really a stark contrast to what we had in early COVID where people were really together and unified and supportive of healthcare workers and what they were going through. And and part of that is emotional exhaustion. People were so sick of it. So when we had the um, really right before the hurricane, the the vaccine stuff became a real issue on Facebook. I almost just needed to take a break from Facebook because I found it to be um, really upsetting. But The reason is I think everybody wants the same thing, right? We want COVID to be gone. We want to be healthy and and people just, um, you know, are all facing the stressful time in different ways. Uh, But yeah, so in science and in healthcare, we can't 
just do what we want to do with patients. It's, it's really called the standard of care. We practice medicine in what's called the standard of care. So whether it be what antibiotic, how long, what surgical treatment, what level of the spine, we have indications and we have treatments and these things are proven in the literature with um, the scientific method. Basically things are proven and that's what we do. Um, and so when people kind of bring a lot of non-science or poor science into scientific discussions. I think the scientists and all of us get a little frustrated because we know the methods, but, you know, the general public doesn't understand that. And so we try to be a little supportive but not pushy in helping people understand what the real facts are. I think if you have good healthcare providers that you trust, you know, you don't have to take someone's word for their word, but allow them to guide and support you because at the end of the day, it is a new disease and a new vaccine, and we're trying to figure all that out, but we do have science and we do have data, and if you talk to someone you trust, you'll, you'll get, um, I think, some informed decisions. It seemed like everyone did that up until 2020. Uh, right. Everyone trusted their doctor, and then all of a sudden, there yeah. was questions, but... Uh, okay, well, let's move on. I know that's a touchy subject for a lot of people, but um, let, let's move on to some positive news. So in March of this year, you were honored with a Woman of Achievement Award uh, by your alma mater, Nickel State, for your involvement in the community. So let's – I want to talk about the involvement specifically, but let's first talk about what it means to be honored by your alma mater. I was shocked. That was number one. I was truly never expecting something like that. Um, you know, it, it makes me emotional because I love this bayou so much. Everything I do, um, you know, at work, at home, comes from a place of love. Everything I do for the community comes from a place of love. So to have people recognize that, you know, not recognizing me for some test score or something like that, but for what really matters, which is, you know, how I treat others and, and what my values are, uh, certainly means a lot. You know, and I hope that young people, because this was held at the university, see that things like that and actions like that can really um, have a lot of value in your personal life. Um, but yeah, it, it meant so much. And I love Nichols. And for them to honor me in that way was just, it was wonderful. So so let's talk about the reason you were recognized, as you said, your involvement in the community. I, I want to touch on your efforts following Hurricane Ida, but I want to first talk about your other endeavors, including your work with New Orleans Missions. Sure, sure. So, you know, in New Orleans, my husband and I lived in the French Quarter. We actually lived uh, kind of on the borderline Treme area and, and our neighborhood was definitely afflicted with a lot of things, addiction, poverty, homelessness. And so, you know, you do what you can. In medical school, we had some homeless clinics where we provide medical care. So that was one way we tried to give back to the community. And then um, my husband also likes to do stuff like that. So he helped as well with the New Orleans mission. We even had my mom, my dad, my sister out there one Christmas day serving dinner. But the New Orleans mission is just basically for our homeless population and people in need to help keep their um, keep their bellies fed and, and, you know, have a safe place that they can go and get some good nutrition. And uh, so you cook and you serve and you get food donated and it really feeds the soul. So we ended up making that almost like a little tradition in our family on Christmas um, to kind of remind ourselves of the spirit of the holidays. That's awesome. Um Let's talk about your Hurricane Ida experience and, and the endeavor that came from that. But let's rewind to – so let's talk about your actual experience during the hurricane. But you had just 
uh, moved to Thibodeau Regional right before that, I correct? started practice on August 1st. I had done one surgery, I think. Like, I was really just gearing up when the storm came through. And I was not on call for the week of the storm. You know, it was one of those things, like, the Friday before the storm, I'm getting my hair done. Life was great. I thought it was a normal day. It was a Category 2. And then all of a sudden, you know, panic mode. Um, so we have two young babies. I was not on call. So I did what I think most mom of young children would do. And that's, I left. I went to family in, in Lafayette with um, our parents, our children. We left um, our puppies um, terrified, didn't know what we would come home to. Like most people, I think most people listening understand that feeling. Uh, thankfully, our home is okay. We suffered a lot of damage, you know, like like most people, but, you know, we had a home to come home to. So uh, my husband came home the very next morning to secure things, but I came home because of the kids. We had to wait for generators. We came home uh, day three. We had no power for, I think, 29 days, but I needed to be there so I can support the hospital because the other four hospitals got shut down, so we were really busy. So I came home ASAP and was there to help in any way that I can. Most of the stuff we were seeing were, were traumatic. A lot of people, um, unfortunately, suffering injuries, falling from their roof, some linemen from the buckets, you know, things like that. But then, you know, in times of stress, people have strokes and people have bleeds and people have things like that. So it was a busy time. Um, Honestly, it reminded me of COVID. It was kind of a strange, only emergency situation. So I felt like COVID in some ways prepared me for Ida, if that makes sense. Um, but mm-hmm. nonetheless, you want to do what you can to help. And I had a lot of downtime. My clinic was shut down for a couple of weeks, first couple of weeks. They, we were only doing emergency surgeries. So I had some downtime. So I started saying, well, I don't know where to give my money. And this was kind of right at the same time, bless your heart, was really growing. They really hadn't gotten there at the same time I was getting there. So I independently started a GoFundMe. I said, you know, I don't know where to give my money. I'm sure other people feel the same way. But I would hope that they would know that I would not steal their money if they gave it to me. I have, you know, a good job. I don't need to take anyone else's money. So maybe if I put my own GoFundMe, people will give it to me and I'll make sure it gets in the proper hands. So that's kind of how it started, just out of, you know, desire to help my community. Um, We were able to raise $40,000. And it wasn't certainly just no my efforts it was community effort um i I worked with the department of delta zeta at nickel state and sae because these are good friends of mine and we knew how to raise money in college to throw parties we knew how to throw (laughs) crawfish day so i figured we can raise some money together and work together so as it started to gain traction and, and gain more money um you know, we, we called Jeray and we said, Jeray, you guys are doing the same thing. We're doing the same thing. Let's all work together and try to really help our community in a more impactful way. So we were thankful to work with Bless Your Heart. Um, it was amazing. That's how I met Hillary and some of the folks, and we're friends to this day from that. Um, but, yeah, so we were able to raise $40,000. We did two big events where we did – both meals and gift cards to Rouse's just to try to help people know that we care and we're here to help and and in some small way they can buy whatever they need whether it be cleaning supplies food whatever one I don't know if I don't know if frustration is the right word but one thing that a lot of people from the South Lafouche area talked about uh, as they ventured their way toward Thibodeau in the months of October and November 
they said it felt like life was back to normal for people in the northern part of the parish where people were still suffering, some were still homeless in the southern part of the parish. As um, someone who, you know, lives and works further north than, than you know, most of the people that of our listening audience, of our primary listening audience in the South Lavouche area, but you, you were kind of part of that effort, and, and that's what a lot of people talked about is, yeah, that's true, but we saw the unification of Lafouche a lot during the storm because people from the northern area were able to come down, a lot of businesses from the Thibodeau area, a lot of people like yourself coming down and, and feeding the crowd. So talk, I guess talk about that experience from, from that perspective, from the other side, from, from the northern side, up the bayou perspective, as you will, of being able to help your neighbors in the southern area. I mean, there's no question that Ida was much more devastating down here than it was in Thibodeau, no question. Uh, you know, my parents in Lockport had a fair amount of damage as well. You know, their house is in some, you know, it has a lot of issues. So I do understand personally what it's like, but I'm not in your shoes. And I fully, fully recognize that it was much more devastating here. But I think that we had an opportunity, people from Thibodeau who didn't have to be in our own yards and attics working, to try to give our time elsewhere. You know, when we did the first Feed and Fun Lafouche in Lockport, that one, um, you know, I was able to get, I kid you not, about 170 volunteers from Thibodeau. Um, It was a ridiculous amount of people there because they wanted to be. They had no incentive other than they wanted to be. And this was a mix of retired people all the way down to college kids. And even some families brought their young children. And so there's absolute unity, even if you didn't maybe see it or feel it. Know that people all throughout Bayou Lafouche were, you know, certainly praying and hoping to support our parish, especially those in the lower parts of the parish, however we can. All right. Well, it's time for our rapid fire question round. So you can the way this works is you can give us a one word answer or you can expand on an answer if you feel you need to explain, which a lot of people do. Uh, So it's up to you. You ready? I'm ready. All right. What's your go to order at a down the bayou restaurant? Well, now that I live in Thibodeau, I guess Lockport is considered down the bayou. So I'm going to go with Beck Steak Night on Monday night. That's fair. All right. Uh, What's your favorite Cajun word or phrase and its meaning? Um, I like to say consons. I don't know why. Every time <laughs> my child needs her diaper changed or I just want to make fun of my husband, that word seems to be one I love to throw out there. My four-year-old son loves saying that word, too, as well. Uh, also, Louis- pishnik. <laughs> I have a young woman from France that lives in our home, and I'm always like, is this a real French word or is this, like, Cajun French? And so the other day... um my husband like pishnicked me and he was like I was like why did you pishnick me and he was like I don't know and then we asked her apparently that's not a real French word I guess that's true Cajun (laughs) we're learning because we do you know our our producer Ross does a lot of the DTB isms on our on our social media and we're learning that a lot of our Cajun words do have uh you know their their roots in in French but some of them, we have no some idea where they come totally from. Yeah, up. we just totally made them up. Over a game of Pedro. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Um, your favorite snowball flavor? I like coconut. Coconut has been hands down the most. Coconut's uh, my favorite. The most, uh, the most repeated answer we've I'm gotten. I'm going to throw that one. one other one out there. I don't really like a whole lot of sweet things. So when I was a little kid, I used to get pickle juice over ice. But Brooks in Thibodeau, and I think there's one in Homa, they actually have a pickle snowball with a spear in it. So that one is probably my go-to. That's not for me. (laughs) Uh, 
I probably already know the answer for this, and it probably depends on work, but next hurricane, staying or evacuating? It depends on work, you know, but I have young babies, and I am not a gambler in life. I like to play it safe, so if it's over Category 2, my children are leaving with or without me, but if I'm on call, I'm going to stay here. All right, and this is the last one. This is a hot topic right now locally. Jambalaya or pastalaya? Pastalaya. There you go. Pastalaya. All right. She is medically underscore blonde on Instagram. Dr. Lindsay Lesang, thank you so much for joining us Thanks today. Thanks for having me. All right. That'll do it for this episode of the DTB podcast. Thanks to our producer, Ross Jambon, our executive producers, Jure Gyro and Hillary Crum, and the rest of the Bless Your Heart nonprofit board members, Luke Newman and Chris Brantley. Be sure to follow and subscribe to the DTV podcast on Facebook, Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also get more content by following us on Twitter and TikTok at the DTV podcast. I'm Brennan Mathern. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next time.